It's great to see everyone that's here this evening. As was mentioned, we have a lot on the roads traveling and there's a lot of sickness going around, so we'll keep those in our prayers in, in either case. Um, but there's fewer people to hide behind tonight, so if you fall asleep, I'm going to be able to spot you this time. Um, but we'll be continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, continuing through the end of chapter 11. So as was mentioned this past Sunday evening, we'll be covering verses 30 through 40 of chapter 11. Uh, and once again, this is often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. Uh, last Sunday, we considered Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, and also Moses. And in the verses we're considering this evening, the, verse, the Hebrew writer continues to discuss men and women from history uh, who displayed great faith in God. And just a warning before we get started, this lesson is weighted very heavily in the first three verses that we'll be going over. So, you know, as the minutes are ticking by and you're thinking, okay, we're only two verses in, we're not going to be here all night. Uh, by the time we hit verse 33, we're going to be like 90% of the way uh, through our study for this evening. So just a, a warning there. Uh, but just to start off, uh, we'll go ahead and read those 11 verses. So I'll be reading once again from the New American Standard uh, 1995 version, uh, beginning in verse 30 of Hebrews chapter 11. So there the, the Hebrew writer <clears throat> says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, but God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So verses 30 and 31 both relate really to the same event, you know, overall, the conquest of Jericho. Uh, when I first began studying for this part of the study this evening, I spent a couple hours getting way off into the weeds on Jericho and decided what I'd come up with didn't really fit this lesson very well. So I've saved those notes and I may eventually give a, a more detailed study on uh, that conquest. Um, so for this lesson, we'll keep it a little more simple. So Josh, or God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 2, or chapter 6, verse 2, he said, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. So the children of Israel, we remember they were shepherds. So Abraham, 
Uh, he was a shepherd. We remember when he and uh, Lot were together, how uh, they were all shepherds and they got to where their uh, flocks were so big um, that the land couldn't sustain really all of them. Um, and Abraham's folks and Lot started arguing, so they split up. So from Abraham, they were shepherds. And then down through Isaac and Jacob, we remember the children of Israel were in the land of Goshen outside of Egypt where they were shepherds there. And that was you know, not looked too favorably on uh, by the Egyptians. But we remember their occupation was uh, shepherds. They weren't hardened, experienced fighters. Uh, but there were at least some, uh, we aren't told how many, within the city of Jericho that were known by God to be valiant warriors. Because uh, God was telling Joshua, you know, I'm going to give uh, this city to you, uh, including these, uh, its king and the valiant warriors. So uh, when we read of, you know, David and his mighty men, uh, years later in Israel's history, we know that a few valiant warriors could kill many, many men by themselves. And of course, those particular men uh, that were in David's army had God's help to do so. Uh, but God uh, did say there were valiant warriors within Jericho. Uh, but not only were they valiant warriors, uh, they lived in a city that was considered to be impenetrable by you know any man that lived outside of of that city. There were walls surrounding the city that any invading army would be halted by if they were to try to overtake that city. And not only uh, would that wall be difficult to, to tear down or to scale, if that was the only concern, uh, but these valiant warriors, I'm sure, would be protected you know, on the wall from bows and arrows or stones that were slung at them uh, so that anyone who approached the wall you know, to even try to tear through it or to scale it would be shot or stoned before they could get up it. Uh, but God had a master plan, and he laid this out for Joshua. Uh, this was the surefire way that they were going to conquer this city. Uh, Joshua was, as we know, to take his army and to march around the city one time per day for six days, uh, while the seven priests blew seven trumpets made of ram's horns. And then for the grand finale on the seventh day, they were going to walk around the city a total of seven times, uh, while the seven priests, once again, carrying their seven trumpets of ram's horns, were going to blow their trumpets as usual. But after they completed the seventh circle, they were supposed to blow a long blast, and then all of Joshua's men of war uh, would all shout. And even though they had never touched the wall, that wasn't in any part of uh, God's direction, God says the wall is going to fall flat, and everybody can just run in and take the city, and it's you know, going to be a piece of cake. Uh, so the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason why they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was because they doubted God's ability to bring them success in the land of Canaan. So here, the children of those doubtful Israelites who since have died, because we remember uh, they all died in the wilderness um, during that 40 years that they were wandering, except for Joshua and Caleb. But here, the children of those doubting Israelites are trying to be courageous uh, as they're supposed to be conquering the land. They're trying to be courageous considering this strategy that God has delivered to them for conquering Jericho. So like I said, we're, they're shepherds. Uh, they're not warriors, but I'm sure they could tell that this wasn't the typical strategy for winning a war. Uh, but Joshua's faith didn't fail, just as it had not failed 40 years prior to this, whenever uh, he was one of those 12 spies that went into the land uh, to spy it out initially. And thankfully, the Israelites followed the lead of Joshua and had faith in God as well. 
and we remember how that story ended. Against all odds, this unconventional battle plan uh, was perfectly effective, and the men ran into the city, and according to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 21, uh, the Bible says, They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. So it was a, a complete success of this mission that they had against Jericho uh, because of the faith that they had. But now there was one exception uh, to the destruction of this city. Uh, there was a woman of the city, as is mentioned by the Hebrew writer in our reading, uh, named Rahab. So she and her family were spared. And I wonder, you know, why it was decided to refer to her in the way that the Bible uh, refers to her. You know, the Apostle Paul isn't referred to throughout the New Testament as Paul the murderer every time that we read about him. And we know Paul's past, uh, that uh, before he uh, was on that road to Damascus and encountered uh, Jesus, uh, that he persecuted and put to death, you know, Christians. Um, but we don't read Paul the murderer every time we read about Paul. And while we know, you know, sometimes we may refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas, that's not the way the Bible names him. We just know he was doubtful in one situation. And sometimes we refer to him like that. But Rahab, uh, a woman who was pointed out here in Hebrews chapter 11 as being a great example of faith, is consistently referred to, you know, time and time again, whether it's through the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, as Rahab the harlot. And I wonder, you know, if it's to make it glaringly obvious uh, that God doesn't care about our past. Um, you know, even back in these earlier days, you know, women uh, didn't have a position of as much respect as a man did. And then on top of that, here's a woman that not only you know, was she a woman, but she was a harlot on top of that. But look at the great faith she had and look at the great things that she accomplished through that faith and that God was able to accomplish, you know, through her. So uh, God doesn't care uh, about our past, you know, once we have repented and we begin to live faithfully for him. And God can use that to his benefit. He can bring about honor in our lives and is willing to accept and reward anyone who will have faith in him and serve him and his people. So, you know, as we mentioned, Rahab wasn't the most upstanding person in the world. Uh, this kind of sexual immorality was not tolerated within Israel. Uh, so her story is a very unique one. You know, how did she become such a great example of faith to us? Well, in Joshua chapter 2, before the Israelites began to march around the city of Jericho, uh, they had sent two spies this time into Jericho to, you know, just see what the city's like, um, how many of these warriors are, are in there and where are they stationed, all these kinds of things, I imagine. Uh, how well supplied are they and stocked, um, you know, for some kind of a siege or something. So uh, while those two spies were there within the city, they lodged at Rahab's house. Now we understand from the conversation between Rahab and the two spies that it was not unknown uh, that Israel was planning to conquer Jericho. Uh, the men and women of Jericho uh, had not only heard that Israel wanted to take their land, but they had also heard about the God that was with them. And Rahab, you know, notably tells the spies in Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of the Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. 
When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So, you know, if we're reading through the end of the book of Numbers, uh, when the number of the children of Israel uh, was taken, I believe there was like over 600,000 um, men who were over 20 at that point. So this is a very large group of people that's, you know, moving across the Jordan and coming this direction. I imagine um, part of them hearing about this was probably, you know, folks that were inhabiting that land around Jericho, maybe running to Jericho and saying, hey, can we come inside your walls and, you know, try to have some protection here because this is a, a massive nation that's coming and we're hearing that they want to take this city, but this is where the valiant warriors are. This is where we're most protected. Uh, so everybody knows that Israel's coming and is very concerned. Um, but Rahab here has a very impressive, impressive statement of faith in verse 11 there, uh, where she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Uh, the confidence that she has, um, you know, not just that Israel's a strong nation and that they have a formidable military force, uh, but that their God is actually the one and true and only God is uh, very admirable. And because of Rahab's faith in God that he would bring success to Israel, <clears throat> she hid those two spies, as we remember, and helped them get out of the city unnoticed. And in return, when Israel attacked the city, they spared Rahab and her family uh, through the faith that she had in God. So at this point in our study, I'm going to mix up the order uh, the, the Hebrew writer goes in when he names uh, these next several individuals. Uh, Going to mix it up for chronology's sake. So Gideon is mentioned, then Barak. However, Barak was prior to Gideon, and we'll kind of you know flow into that once we get to Gideon. So I'll talk a little bit about Barak first and why he's mentioned by the Hebrew writer. What was uh, the great faith that he showed? So this takes us back to Judges chapter chapters 4 and 5. Uh, there the children of Israel uh, had done evil at this time, and God had sold Israel into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, as we read in Judges chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So we read that Jabin had oppressed Israel for 20 years. And so after these 20 years, Israel was crying out to God to be delivered from this nation. So there are three individuals that stand out in this story. Uh, Two along with Barak. So there's Deborah. So we read she was a prophetess who was judging Israel at that time. And then we have Barak, of course, who's mentioned by the Hebrew writer. And then a woman named Jael, a Kenite. And an interesting side note, Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. And we read in Judges chapter 1 that they lived with the Israelites. So Deborah, she spoke with Barak, you know, considering this you know, servitude they had to uh, this king of Canaan. And uh, she got him to agree to take 10,000 men and to go fight against King Jabin's commander, whose name was Sisera. And Barak told Deborah, well, you know, I'll go, but I'm only going to go. I'm only going to fight him if you go along with me. So uh, knowing her to be, you know, the, a prophetess and the judge of Israel, he had respect for her and her counsel and wanted her nearby. So Deborah does agree to go with Barak um, into this fight. So although the strategy for this battle was more typical than the taking of Jericho, 
and the defeat of the Midianites uh, with Gideon, as we'll read here in a moment, uh, there was a bit of a twist to this battle as well. After Barak and his army had routed the army of Sisera, uh, Sisera was running for his life. He knew they had been defeated. Uh, he was just trying to get out alive at that point. He had left everybody else behind. Uh, he's just trying to survive himself. And he comes to the tent of Jael, this Kenite woman. And we remember that he laid down to sleep after she gave him a nice bowl of milk that he had requested. And while the commander was sleeping, it says that Jael searched for a hammer and a tent peg and drove the peg through the commander's temple down into the ground, killing him. And that story is found in Judges chapter 4. And Judges chapter 5 is just this long victory song uh, that uh, Barak and Deborah are you know, working together to, to sing to the Lord about this great victory uh, that God had uh, delivered to them you know, with this fight against Jabin's army. And you know, I think a, a good lesson from the faith that Barak had <clears throat> was that you know, sometimes we need others to keep us strong and to help us along the way. I think this is a great example of that, how he and Deborah, both of them had faith, uh, but Barak listened to the instruction of Deborah and the encouragement from her, and they worked together uh, to bring about this great victory. You know, sometimes we get this mentality that, you know, I have to figure it out myself, and I have to put all this on my own shoulders and do it on my own. Uh, but we don't need to, to cut ourselves short by thinking that we can't, uh, you know, join together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to accomplish a work. So next, the Hebrew writer mentions Gideon. Uh, we read of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 through 8. So as we said, Gideon comes into the picture after Barak. So after uh, God had brought about that victory against uh, King Jabin's army uh, and Sisera, his commander, they you know, had some peace for a while. Uh, but once again, uh, Israel does evil in the sight of God. So God delivers them into the hand of Midian for seven years, as we read in Judges 6 and 1. Uh, we remember that Gideon, although he was, or although from the first time the angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke with him, uh, even though that angel addressed him as a mighty man of valor, Gideon didn't really seem to think that highly of himself. Uh, he was a humble man, and he replied to the angel in Judges chapter 6 and verse 15, saying, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But God knew what he was talking about, and he didn't back down, but insisted that Gideon lead God's people to deliver them from the Midianites. And it's interesting reading of Gideon's story. You know, while God agrees to bolster Gideon's faith in some ways, uh, like the consuming of the meat and the bread that Gideon offered to the angel of the Lord when the angel of the Lord was talking to him, and then it was at that point he realized that he was speaking to the angel of the Lord and was afraid he was going to die because he had, had seen this angel. Uh, so an amazing, amazing sign there to bolster his faith. But then also the signs of the fleece where God would either soak the fleece with dew and leave uh, the ground dry, you know, or soak the ground and leave the fleece dry, whichever it was that Gideon was requesting at that time to try to, you know, build the confidence to be able to go do this, uh, uh, to go attack you know, the Midianites. And then also when Gideon and his servant uh, Pura overheard when they snuck, you know, over close to the Midianite camp and overheard the Midianites talking about their dreams and about how 
Israel was going to come in and destroy their camp. So <clears throat> at all these times that God, you know, uh, fortified the faith of Gideon, but he also challenged Gideon's faith as well. As we remember, he began with an army of 32,000 men to go against the Midianites, but then God whittled that army down to 10,000, then down to just 300. So as it was with the conquering of Jericho, once again, as is, you know, God's uh, seems to be chosen way of doing things, making sure that we understand it's not through our own power when we accomplish something, uh, but it's through what he has allowed us to accomplish. Uh, God's strategy for victory over the Midianites was, once again, an uh, unconventional but effective one. Uh, with only those 300 men, uh, Gideon and his army defeated the Midianites and delivered Israel from that nation. And this makes me think of Jesus and his response uh, to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verses 8 through 10. So there the disciples, if you remember, they were thinking that Jesus was scolding them because they had forgot to bring bread along with them. And Jesus responded by saying, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you picked up. So, of course, he's recalling back to those times that uh, he worked the miracles to feed the thousands that had come to listen to him. So, you know, even if we think the resources uh, that we have or the talents that we have are not enough to accomplish what we think God wants us to do, it's nothing for God to turn our meager resources or our lack of talent uh, into an overabundance for whatever that task is. Now, all we need to do, just as Gideon did, and just as his men did, uh, is just to have faith. So once again, I'll go out of order a little bit and talk about Jephthah next. <clears throat> so we read about Jephthah in Judges chapters 11 and 12. So I know James has taught recently on Jephthah, so I'll, I'll try not to spend a lot of time here uh, as we consider the faith that he had. But uh, Jephthah, we remember, was the son of a harlot. And he was rejected by his half-brothers uh, since he was the son of a woman other than his 